Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, family. You know, as you're getting back to your seat, I want to highlight something that Tito's been just uh, mentioned to us. And uh, as our summer begins to kick off, our rhythms in life look a little different, don't they? Um, our rhythms of life look different in the summertime because uh, things change, our, our pace changes and, and things like that. And then these real community groups that we have that meet on Thursdays begin to pause for the summer in order for something we call the Brook DNA Groups to take place. Those are groups of three men with, three, with men and three ladies with ladies. And uh, they meet throughout the summer at least four different times to get in God's word. In your real community groups, they'll be sharing more with you about your DNA group. DNA stands for Discover, Nurture, and Act. And as we get in the Bible together, we want to discover what God has to say, nurture our hearts and see what he's teaching us, and respond and act upon what God is telling us to do. And so our DNA groups will be launching out at the conclusion of our real community season so that during the summer months we can have that, we can kind of fluctuate with the different rhythms of life. And with those rhythms, you know, a friend of mine I heard recently say this, and, and it really resonated in my heart. And um, I wanted to share this with you guys. You know, it wasn't long ago, it feels a little bit long maybe to some, but not to many, where we actually could not meet as a church because of COVID. It, it may seem like a while ago, but do you guys remember where there were Sundays you didn't have the opportunity or even the option to be together? We didn't even have the option to be in a DNA group. We didn't have the option to be out on the block on mission because we we're quarantined and we we're isolated. And, and man, God forbid we get spiritual amnesia, right? Where now that we have the option and the opportunity to be gathered with the saints and to be living life in real community, to be walking with others, to be out on God's mission, that we would choose to not do so because we've prioritized other things, right? And so we want to be the kind of people who remember the value of being together being together on Sunday mornings, to be together in our real communities, to be together in our DNA groups, to be together on the block as we serve our community. So fam, you all want to be on that together? That's what we want to be about as we gather. And so, man, I'm grateful, grateful for all that God is doing in our midst. And so let's make sure we spur each other on. Family, you know, uh, I'm not musically talented. And when I see our worship team up here um, week in and week out, and even a week like this where, where much of our team is taking a break and Josh is holding things down, I'm always amazed at the, the, the talent, the musical talent. I, I just don't play an instrument. I'm uncoordinated. I can't move my right hand without my left hand doing this, you know. I, I couldn't strum. I'd be like this. And if I try to drum, it'd be simultaneous. And when you see musicians doing their thing, it's a beautiful thing. And in particular, I enjoy seeing that when people are part of a marching band. You ever watch a marching band move? I mean, it is a thing of beauty as they are in sync together playing a song, marching according to the pace that the drum major sets out for them. The drum major is the person ahead of the marching band who's usually dressed pretty crazily. They got this large feather on their hat. They're very energetic, very, um, very outgoing. And they are telling the marching band how they are to play, how they are to move. And the band moves according to their leading. And then above the marching band, the drum major is actually a band director. 
You don't see the band director because they're behind the scenes, but they are the ones who laid out the plan and strategy for the drum major. And the drum major is following the lead of the band director, telling the band what to do, and the band responds. It would be a bad thing for the drum major to lay out a command and for the band to do their own thing. First off, they look crazy. Second off, they sound crazy. You know, when I think about that illustration, I realized how important it is to follow. I realized how important it is, in this case, for a drum, for a marching band to follow their drum major. And a drum major to speak through symbols and through actions to that band. You know, family, when I think about this very illustration, I think about our own lives and our own souls and how often we, like a marching band, need someone to speak to our soul. More in particular today, I want to mention that that someone, although it could be a lot of different people, but oftentimes needs to be you. Family, I think we would all do a lot better in life if we talked to ourselves a little more often. And I'm not talking about the crazy kind of talk to yourself when you're like, man, you know, start, you're, you're just venting. But the kind of talk to yourself to remind you of what is true when you're tempted to go by what is not true. Family, we need to learn to talk to ourselves, reminding us and inspiring us to move in a direction that God would want us to move. And here's a good thing. We can learn to talk to ourselves, not because we ourselves have the answers, but because there is a band director giving ourselves the cues in order to speak to ourselves so we can march according to that direction. Family, so often we lose sight. We get distracted. And yet we need to tell ourselves, march on. In particular, we got to say, march on my soul. March on my soul because the director is leading us. I titled our sermon this morning, March on My Soul, because first off, that phrase occurs in chapter 5 of the book of Judges. But also because it is a reminder for us to remind ourselves to march forward because there is someone who's directing the course of our lives that we can trust. Because God goes before you, you can say, March on, my soul. Uh, Family, I, I need to remind us, though, of the character of God this morning. Because sometimes we find ourselves hesitant to tell our soul to march on because we are second guessing the directions of our director. A lot of times we are hesitant to proceed forward because we're not fully trusting that God has us. So let me remind you of God's character this morning. Can I do that? Can I remind you of God's love for his children this morning? Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible calls it, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. Can I remind you this morning that God loves his children And when you put your faith in Jesus, you are a daughter of God. Man, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are a son of God and he loves you. Can I remind you that God does not take some kind of sinister pleasure in making your life hard? Can I remind you 
That God is not a cruel dictator exacting from you whatever he wants just to give himself some sort of satisfaction. But the character of God is a God who has a will for your life that is good, pleasing, and perfect. And when this God that we begin to understand is a God who cares for his people, gives us directions, we can say, march on my soul, because the one who's given me orders is one that I can trust. He is one that goes before me. So you don't need to hesitate when God says to you, hey, speak up. You don't need to hesitate when God says, flee. You don't need to hesitate when he says, give, because you can trust that he is good. And he gives directions to his children out of the fact that he loves you. Maybe today you come and you're not yet a child of God. We become a children of God by putting our faith in Jesus. Maybe that's not what you've done just yet. We want you to know that there is a God who gives you an invitation this morning so that you can tell your soul to march on because you can experience God's forgiveness. But family, we know that there are many challenges that confront us when we need to speak to our soul to march on. And today we are going to find someone who hesitated. Someone who at first glance wasn't ready to fully obey God, but someone who learned to obey God because he began to understand God's character. You guys want to learn about this person? I want you to join me in the book of Judges chapter 4. In the Bible. Judges is the sixth book of the Bible. We go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's actually seventh book, isn't that? I was just testing you guys. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as I read the book of Judges, chapter 4. Today we're going to find two prominent people in this text. We're going to see a woman, a courageous woman, a woman who is uh, head and shoulders above anyone else we find in the book of Judges. And we're going to find a man who is hesitant to obey God but learns to trust him. Judges chapter 4 lays it out for us. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And this is what God's word says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now I told you last Sunday and the Sunday before, you're going to see this phrase a lot. And when you see that says that people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I want you to say, not again. Can you say, not again? again. All right. And the people of Israel again did what was evil. Not again. Really? They again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Ehud's the guy who stabbed the dude in the stomach we learned about last week. Check that out on Spotify. That was a good one. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor, the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron and oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah was a prophetess. The wife of Lapidot, she was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, 
the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Can you say commanded you? Go, gather your men in Mount, uh, at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if, can you say if? If you will go with me, I will go with you. I, I will go. But if, can you say if? If you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Father in heaven, Lord, as we come this morning, God, I know that you have a message for us. God, I know this because you tell us that your word will not return void when it goes out. And God, you know how imperfect and frail of a messenger I am. But God, we know how powerful and magnificent your word is. And so, Lord, we look not to a speaker this morning, but to your word. We look not just to your word, but to you, the God of this word. And Lord, I ask that you would move in each of us. God, teach us to be courageous. Teach us to be able to speak to our soul to march on and help us trust you, Lord, your character and who you are. Father, may this narrative, this story that seems so far removed from us become alive in our minds and in our imaginations and move us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, family. Well, the book of Judges comes during a time in the history of God's people when there was no king in the land. God was their king. And God had told them to go out into what's the promised land and to remove God's enemies from that land and establish his people in the land of Israel. We're told in the opening chapters that God's people didn't do that. Flat out, they only did half of the job, and because of that, they've received oppression from cruel leaders that made their lives hard. And what God would do in his grace was raise up leaders to come and rescue them from this oppression. And God's people would have peace in their land. And then after a while, they would forget how good God was and go back to their own mess of worshiping idols, living for their own flesh nature, not loving their God. And God would again bring another military or another king to oppress them because God didn't want his people to continue on in these destructive ways. And these are storms of correction he brought into their lives. God brought this storm to bring them back to him. And today we see... That God's people did evil and God brings a storm in the form of a king named Jabin who lived in Canaan. Jabin had a general in his army named Sisera. And we're given just a brief description. 
But we're told that this general Sisera had 900 chariots made out of iron. Now, this is a significant detail because technologically speaking, this is extremely advanced for this day and age. Not only to have chariots, but chariots of iron that were not easily defeated. Just imagine a military going up in a plains, charging an army, and that army's got 900 chariots storming with, against them on horses, maybe two horses. On that chariot is the one leading the horse. Another on a chariot with a bow and arrow, maybe another with a javelin. And you're just there standing flat-footed in this battlefield. You're going to get decimated. And God's people knew that this king had a mighty army, so much so that they were subservient to him. And we're told here in verse 3 that he oppressed Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, in this passage, we're not told what this cruelty looked like. But just what we see throughout the book of Judges, oppressive, cruel dictators would abuse their people. They would exact from them tribute. They would steal their money. In fact, we're told in chapter 5 that it was common for this commander, when he would capture a people's, he would abduct their women and give it to this people as wives, multiple wives. They would take people by force and abuse them. They were an unkind and cruel people. And this is how God's people were treated for 20 years. And they cried out to God. And then this woman named Deborah comes on the scene in chapter 4. Now, Deborah is a fascinating character in the Bible. We're told just a few details about her. But we're told this. She is a prophetess which means she is a prophet. She is someone that God spoke to and gave the responsibility to communicate his word to other people. Now, Deborah is not the first and only prophetess in the Bible. Miriam is a prophetess. Huldah is a prophetess. Deborah is a prophetess. Isaiah's wife is a prophetess. And Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. These were women who heard God speak to them and spoke to God's people. They were teachers of God's word. And God's law. And Deborah is one of these. Deborah's married to a man named Lapidot, and we know nothing else about him. And we're left wondering how long she's been married for. Does she have any kids? What's it like there? How does she become a judge in Israel? We're not given a lot of details about Deborah. We're told she's a prophetess. We're told she's got a husband. And we're told that she judged Israel during that time. Now, as I told you before, the judges in Israel are less like Judge Judy and more like Jason Bourne from time to time. But Deborah was here more like actually the courtroom kind of judge, at least at this moment. Because we're told that she would go to a place that became known as the palm of Deborah. You see, God's people would hold their cases, their court cases or their judgments outdoors for there were many witnesses. And apparently there was a palm tree. That was her office. And she would sit faithfully at this palm tree, and God's people would come to her when they needed direction or wisdom or an interpretation from God's law, and she would teach them and instruct them what that law meant and what God had to say on the matter. Deborah was a wise woman. She was a leader in Israel, as the NIV says it. And she used to sit, in verse 5, under the palm of Deborah. The people would come to her. And we're told that she sent for a man named Barak. 
Now, just this brief description about her, we've learned several things. And a lot of times in the Bible, you have these narratives, these stories. They're true stories, but they lack the details that we want to hear sometimes. I want to know a lot more about Deborah. But right now we know she's a godly woman. God speaks to her. But let me tell you this. Just because God speaks to someone or speaks through someone doesn't mean they're a godly person. As someone heard uh, someone teach on this last week, God spoke through a donkey after all. We're not going to say that's a godly donkey, right? But what we do see in this story is Deborah constantly pointing God's people to God. She's a godly woman. We learn about her faithfulness. She's at the palm tree regularly, so much so it was named after her. The palm of Deborah. She was faithful to the task of judging God's people. Not only was she godly and faithful, but she was trustworthy. People kept coming back. Like if you go someone for counsel and they give you some really messed up counsel, you're not going to be like, hey, talk to this person. They'll hook you up, right? Usually it's like 10-foot pole and more, stay away. But people kept coming to Deborah because of her godliness, because of her faithfulness, and because of her trustworthiness. We also see that she's influential. She summons a guy in verse 6 by the name of Barak to come to her from many, many miles away, and he does it. Clearly, Barak is like, all right, Deborah is someone who's got a reputation that when she summons you, you come to hear what she's got to say. But there's more to Deborah we'll find out in this story in just a moment. We'll come to learn that she's also bold and extremely courageous. In fact, she's the kind of woman that the people of Israel were to look up to. In fact, chapter 5, verse 7 calls her a mother in the nation of Israel. And as I read the story of Deborah, I just pause and pull back for a moment. And I praise God for the Deborahs in our, in our Brooke family. We've got godly women here who are faithful, trustworthy, and influential. we got mothers in this church, mothers to this church. And I praise God for you, mothers of our Brooke family. You come from a long line of mothers, pointing back to people like Deborah and others. Deborah is here, and she calls for Barak. We're told nothing about this man up to this point, but we'll learn pretty quickly. He is a man with military prowess. And she tells him in verse 6, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from Naphtali and Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river, Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Hasn't God told you this? Surely, it's she's saying, God has made it clear for me, this prophetess, to tell you, Barak, that it is your job to go gather some 20,000 people to fight against Sisera and his 900 chariots and army that goes with it. She gives Barak this command. That takes boldness for her to summon this dude from many miles away and to give him such a bold command as saying, hey, you know that guy who's been oppressing us cruelly for 20 years? It's your job to overthrow him. Deborah. What a woman. And this is how Barak responds. If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Barak seems to lack the same courage that Deborah has in this moment. 
We don't know exactly what it is that causes Barak to be hesitant, but this much we know, family. Barak got a command, a direct command from God, and he puts a condition on his obedience to God's command. I want you all to hear me here, family, and don't leave me alone on this stage. God gives Barak a command, and Barak responds by putting a condition upon, to his obedience to that command. Basically, he says, God, I will obey you if. And in this case, he says, if Deborah comes with me. Now, is it because he's afraid to go alone? Perhaps. Although what we see is this dude's pretty bold, so maybe it's not fear. Maybe he views Deborah as a good luck charm, and this guy Barak is not the godly man we want him to be. Maybe Barak is there and has some doubt and saying, Deborah, I need you to put your money where your mouth is. You're sending me to war? If you really believe God's word, you're coming with me. We don't know what's going on in Barak's heart, but we do know is he puts a condition on God's command. And what we see is because Barak's heart is not wholly devoted to obeying God, his obedience is not wholly devoted to God. Family, we need to tell our souls to march on because God's commands are to be obeyed without condition. We don't sit back and negotiate whether or not we are to obey when God tells us to do something. But we are to say, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do because I know you are going to follow through because I trust your character, God. So we don't know what prevents him, but we may know what prevents us from often following God's commands. And we might say, you know, but if God spoke to me like he just spoke to Barak, I wouldn't second guess it. You ever, you ever find yourself like that? If, God, if I heard an audible voice or someone said, hey, God told me to tell you this, I'd be more likely to obey. But look, family, you've got better than that. You've got the very voice of God. What do we call this? God's word. Because God speaks through his word. And so when God gives a command in his word, God's like, I don't expect it to be conditional. When God tells us to pray, we can't say, I'll pray more if what I'm trying isn't working out. When God tells us to not be unequally yoked with someone we shouldn't be in a relationship with, we can't say, I'll break this off if I have another prospect in the chamber. When God says, love your neighbor, you can't say, I love my neighbor if my neighbor is lovable. God says, I've given you commands and I expect you to obey them without condition. So our obedience to God is not a bargaining chip. We say, God, I'll, I'll obey you if. But God's commands are not meant to be obeyed conditionally. And Barak is here and he's hesitant. He's hesitant to go out. But this is what God is so good about. God meets Barak even in his doubt. And he tells Deborah this, basically to give, give Barak this response. In verse 9, Deborah says, I will surely go with you. So here in this man's hesitancy, God is so gracious to say, you know what, I'm still going to go with you. Even, even in this conditional thing you're putting back, I'm still going to be with you, Barak. 
But then there is a consequence. Nevertheless, Deborah says, the road in which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Basically, Deborah's like, I'll go with you. But you need to understand something. I'm merely the messenger, not the master. You see, Barak, you want me to go, but the person you really need is the one who sent me. I'm, I'm simply the sender. I'm not the savior. I'm only the courier. I'm not the king. I'm the prophet delivering the plan, but not the one who has the power to fulfill it. Family, look at here. We need to understand this. When God gives a promise or a command, his presence is in that promise. His presence is in that command. God will not command us and then abandon us. And so we can say march on because we know he's going to go before us. That's his character. And so when we find ourselves timid to obey, wondering if God's going to be with us, when we obey him, step back and realize that his character says when he commands us, he won't abandon us. So God doesn't promise the stars and deliver you a light bulb. God doesn't promise you forgiveness and give you perpetual guilt. God doesn't promise everlasting life and then give you a maybe when you're at your deathbed. God doesn't promise rest for your soul and let you lead a life of perpetual stress. God's like, I'm with you. I'm going to give you a command. I'm going to give you my promise. And my presence is in that promise and command. God doesn't bait you with hopes and switch you, leaving you alone. And so we can tell our soul to march on. And this is what Deborah is reminding Barak. All right, God will go with you, Barak. But you need to know that your request is not the request you should have given. You should have obeyed immediately. And so the result is Deborah makes this really odd statement. You're, you, nevertheless, the road you're going on won't lead to your glory. In fact, Cicero, this general that I'm going to give you the strength to overthrow, will die by the hands of a woman. That's a, that's a remarkable prophecy that Deborah gives. It's remarkable for a lot of reasons. First of all, women are not in the Jewish military. So how will the general be slayed by a woman? Second of all, this statement is really radical because even for men in Israel's military, it would be a shameful thing to die at the hands of a woman. So you better believe no general is going to let that happen. And yet Deborah says that's going to happen. And ultimately, Barak will not be the one who's recognized for this victory. It's like God said, man, Barak, I wanted to use you and to highlight my power through you. But because of your conditional response, someone else is going to be highlighted here. And oh, how they will be highlighted, family. So the story unfolds here. We're given in verse 11... Seemingly an extremely random kind of thing. I love this about the book of Judges. You'll get sprinkled in this really random statement, and then at the end of the story you realize, oh, that's why that happened. Here we're told in verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. And you're like, who cares, right? Who cares where this guy named Heber lives? So there's some details about him that that are going to be really important. We're told that Heber is a Kenite, which means he is a descendant of Moses' father-in-law. 
So Heber and his family have sympathies to the people of Israel. But we're also told that he relocated from where his family lived in one place and lives somewhere else now. Now, I don't have time to get us a map of Israel, but if we had time, we would see that Heber's family lived in the southern part of Israel, and he relocates to the northern part of Israel. In fact, he relocates to a place just miles from where God told Barak and Deborah to go with their army. And then nothing else is told to us about Heber. It gets back in verse 12, talking about Sisera. But let me say this about Heber. He relocates to a place where he wasn't prior to doing so. He pitched his tent in a place that his family wasn't from. He relocated. And what we'll find, we'll soon find out, is that this is a providential relocation. This is God in his sovereignty moving someone because God wants to accomplish his person through that someone. And again, I want to take a step back here. This is not the point of the passage. But I find it remarkable that we'll soon find out that God placed Heber precisely where he was at because God wanted to fulfill his will through him. And I don't think a lot of times we are as introspective as we ought to be asking ourselves, God, why do you have me where I'm at today? What kind of purposes do you want to accomplish through me? Now, I know Chicago ain't the best place to live, family. I know it's not always the most exciting place to live. And many of us have the inclination to want to peace out, don't we? But listen here. Sister speaking truth this morning. Yes. Listen here. Before we are so quick to relocate ourselves and replant ourselves somewhere else, let's make sure we know who the gardener is replanting us. Am I the gardener or is God the gardener? Am I moving because I don't like the taxes or am I moving because God told me to go? Right? And so this is what we want to learn as a church family. To say, God, where do you want me? For what reason have you placed me where I'm at? If you send me, I will go. If you tell me to stay, I will stay. But, Lord, ultimately my life is in your hands. Even this morning someone blessed my heart saying that they had a plan that they were working out. But they said, But we'll see what God has planned. This is what we're looking at, but we're going to see what God has to say about it. And I was like, yes, yes, amen to that. And so this guy, Heber, relocates, probably unfamiliar to him, even realizing God planned for him to do it. But we'll see what God has planned. Back to the story. Barak and Deborah go to Mount Tabor. They have their massive army, and they're there ready to fight against Sisera, who's got an even larger army with technology more advanced than their own. And now Sisera, or, uh, Barak's probably like, how's this going to work? Deborah, you told me to be here. I'm here. How are we going to fight these chariots? Sisera catches word that they're there. He brings out all his chariots and all his army ready to squash this rebellion at the first sight of it. He's about to make an example of Barak. And as these two armies stare each other down, in verse 14, Deborah speaks a third time in this story. And she says this. She says, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Family, I don't know if y'all heard that. Deborah says, hey, it's time. It's time, Barak. 
go out. Why? Because the Lord has gone before you. The director is telling you to go, and so therefore you are to go. He is there before you. And we can tell our soul to march on because when we're obedient, the Lord goes before us always, family. Always. Man, this is super exciting to me because Deborah is here dropping a theological statement, family. She's not just saying, oh, God is there, you know. She's saying, the Lord goes before you. In fact, she's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 9-3 that God spoke to Moses saying, hey, the Lord will go before you when you go out to battle, when you're following him in obedience. She's saying something about the nature of God who, although he is transcendent, although God is far from us, the galaxies and the black holes in space are in the palm of his hand, that he holds the Mariana Trench and the, the peaks in Everest in his hand, that God is the same God who goes before you in this little earth in the palm of his giant hand? Deborah is saying that there is a God who is not only transcendent, but he's also imminent, which means he is near. He is working in our midst. He is omnipresent. He is with us. He is with his children. And there is no one more greater, more glorious, or grander than him. Deborah is dropping a theological statement saying, this God is working now. And what we see here is God do a thing. The response to Bar- for Barak is this. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Family, that's a remarkable statement. First, it's remarkable because Barak didn't hesitate the second time around. When Deborah says, up and go, Barak up and went. And but we're told Barak didn't win this battle. Who routed Sisera, does it tell us? Who does it say, fam? God does it. The Lord routed Sisera. I have some mic issues here. The Lord routed Sisera. How did God fight against Sisera? Well, this is really an amazing thing here. Because I said I'm preaching from chapter 4 and 5. And chapter 5 is Deborah singing a song, family. She's singing a song saying what took place when God did this thing here. She begins to describe the situation behind what was happening at Mount Tabor. Look at verse 20 of chapter 5. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. And the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on, my soul, with might. What does Deborah mean by these words? She says that the heavens and the stars fought and that the Kishon swept them away. The Kishon is a river there by Mount Tabor. The stars fought tells us that God used nature somehow to fight against Sisera in order to give Barak the victory. Well, what did God do? Well, if the Kishon River swept them away, We can deduce from this that God must have brought some sort of flash flood, a downpour. The rains began to fall as Sisera and his chariots were in the plains here. And what happens to chariots 
when the waters rise and the, the ground gets muddy, they become ineffective. And suddenly this great army with military and technolog technological might was impotent. And the Lord routed Sisera. And when that began to happen, Deborah could say, march on, my soul, because the Lord has gone before you. The same thing God calls us to tell our soul, march on. We can't get it twisted, family. Barak didn't fight this battle. Deborah didn't fight this battle. You shouldn't fight your battles. The Lord fights our battles, family. So when you're confronted with temptation, he will fight for you, providing a way out. When you are confronted with heart-gripping fear, the Lord will fight for you, giving you strength from where you don't know comes from. When you are confronted with name-calling and persecution, the Lord will fight for you, affirming you in your faith and telling you to press on. When you're confronted with financial pressures, the Lord will fight for you, giving you wisdom to use your funds and sometimes providing a ways you didn't know where that came from. Because the Lord fights our battles, and because he fights our battles, we can say, march on, my soul. The Lord goes before you, family. You're not alone. Be encouraged, family. You are not alone in what confronts you because your God is with you. But what happened to Sisera? Well, we're told in verse 19, Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Haroshet Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera got away. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of who? Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jebin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera. So Sisera's running away, and, she, and, he, and he finds himself coming to Heber's land, Heber, the one who got that providential relocation to this very spot for this very moment. And it's not Heber that's highlighted, but Heber's wife happens to be standing outside of her tent while Sisera was trying to run away from God's people. And what does Jael, the wife of Heber, do at this moment? She says in verse 18, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me and don't be afraid. Come and hide in my tent, she says. Remember, my husband and your king, they're at peace together. Come on inside this tent. So he turns aside into her tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. He's likely ran several miles by this point. So she opened a skin of milk. What did he ask for? So she opened a skin of what? But what did he ask for? But what did she give, did she give him? Hmm. And she gave him a drink and covered him. When babies are tired at night and you need that kid to go to sleep, what do you do? You give them some warm milk. You fill up that belly and see them knock out. Because we know that milk and warm milk will put you to sleep quickly. Water, on the other hand, will refresh you and awaken your senses. Jael doesn't give the man water. She doesn't intend for him to be refreshed. She intends for him 
to sleep. Why, family? Remember that little prophecy that Deborah gave Barak when Barak gave a condition on his obedience? And Deborah said, this will not lead to your glory, but Sisera will fall by the hands of a woman? We might have thought that woman was Deborah, but it wasn't Deborah. Here Jael gives him milk. And he said to her, in verse 20, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. Did you see that one coming? Indeed, sister, fell by the hands of a woman. And we're told here in verse 22, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So they went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin. God did it. What a wild turn of events. But God would defeat Sisera through the tent peg of a woman who would crush his head. Remarkable story. It's also remarkable because Sisera was known to capture women and hurt and abuse. And yet God would give him into the hands of a woman so he would face justice in this life. We don't always understand why some don't face justice in this life, but we know that all will face justice for their wickedness. Some like Sisera in this life and others for sure in the next, because our God is just, family. This is why chapter 5 is Deborah breaking out in praise. Chapter 5, 1 and 2, then sang Deborah and Barak the song of Abinoam on that day. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord, Deborah says. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. She is offering praise to God. And we say march on to our soul, making sure that the praise we offer reflects the grace we've received, family. Because here God's grace is poured out and Deborah responds with praise. Family, this is something that's really remarkable because in the book of Judges, this is the only time we see this kind of praise given to God. This is the only time we see God giving a deliverance and this grace shown out and people will respond in praise. Deborah did it even when others wouldn't. What I love about the Bible is how all of it points to Jesus. All of it points to our great deliverer, our God. You see, he fought our battles, did Jesus. He fought our greatest foe named sin when he went to the cross and died for us. And he went to the tomb dead for three days and rose from the dead when God shook the heavens and the earth. And just as Jael drove a peg crushing the head of Sisera, did Jesus crush the head of the serpent when he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and Satan? We serve a God who is a deliverer who can rescue us once for all. And because of that, because of his character, because of who our God is, you ought to tell your soul to march on. And remind your soul that God's commands 
are to be obeyed without condition. Remind your soul that when God commands us, he won't abandon us. Remind your soul that when we're obedient, we can know that the Lord goes before us. And when we receive his grace, we ought to offer him the same kind of praise. That's our God family. He was there. He is here. And he will always be. So family, can you tell your soul, march on right now? Can you say it with me? March on my soul. Say it, family. March on my soul, because the Lord goes before you. Father in heaven, you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, you are with us. So God, forgive us when we take matters into our own hands, when we second guess your kindness, when we are unsure if you really will help us out. Remind us of your promises. May we hold on to that with all our might. God, I know there are some who are here today who've negotiated following you. They said, Lord, if, if you do this, then I will. Lord, forgive us. God, forgive us when we've done that very overtly. Forgive us when we've done that maybe even unknowingly. And I pray that we, Lord, would be courageous in our obedience, holding on to your character, knowing knowing you won't ever leave us. Grant us that grace, God, to trust you no matter what comes our way. You are the everlasting God and you won't grow weary and we thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Families, rise to our feet. Prayer team, would you please come forward and make yourself available. And family, let's sing with our might and pray with our hearts, asking God to meet us in our response. Father God, I pray that we would call to our minds your character, Lord, and that we would be the kind of people who often remind ourselves of who you are, Lord, so that we don't forget, God, we don't forget how good you are, we don't forget how mighty you are, and so we won't let the cares of this world begin to cause us to drift away and no longer hear the command of our director. God, I pray, God, for attentiveness in our ears this week. God, I pray that we would also have the boldness to trust you without condition. God, say, God, I will do what you told me to do because I trust in you, God. So, God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith to that end as we go out this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, family, it's so good to see your faces. I would love to just even briefly connect with you all downstairs. In our fellowship time, we, we have a team of people who've set up refreshments and coffee, even for five minutes, ten minutes. Come on down, get a cup of coffee, and get to meet somebody because we know that that's how we grow deeper in our relationships with one another. I want to leave you with this blessing. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing God bless you, Brooke family. You're dismissed. We'll see you all downstairs for refreshments.